I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, um, David's podcast and student, and on these David's Views episodes, him and I are in discussion on Dharma topics related to creativity, spirituality, and right livelihood. So we'd like to welcome all of you to this podcast. We sincerely hope you're doing well, and welcome, David. Well, thank you, Michael. I feel like welcome back is even more interesting than welcome because where were we before and are we actually here again well we're getting right into our topic <laughs> who is where <laughs> who is where it's the buddhist version of who's on first actually it's like an inverted be here now <laughs> yeah yeah who's being here now yeah so i know you had a question from one of our uh dharma moon community members and uh might be fun to launch from there. Great. Thank you. Yes. Well, we have a submitted question. And just a reminder to anybody who's listening, if you would like me to ask David a question in one of our episodes here, you can shoot me an email at michaelk at dharmamoon.com. And this question is submitted from our community member, Charles Sidner. And he sent me a message that reads as such. Hi, Michael. I've been enjoying the podcasts. You're an excellent Robin to David's Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this is really fit for mass consumption, but a topic that really interests me is the Trunkpa quote, actually, you don't exist. Maybe that idea is not useful to you. Maybe that idea is useful to you, or maybe not. In any event, see you soon. So, David... Who am I talking to if you don't exist? Yeah. So, well, first of all, that is something that uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, my my Buddhist teacher, said often, frequently, actually, you don't exist. I think the actually is in there, too. Actually, you don't exist. So you might um, think you exist. You might appear to exist. But actually is sort of getting closer to uh, pinpointing it more uh, in the realm of does it truly exist does it have uh, true existence so when we talk about something existing or not existing you know it's good to set some parameters right like um 
for example, um, you know, we look at, before we look at a sense of self, look at a cloud. Okay, start with the cloud. Borrow from Joni Mitchell. Look, look at, I don't know if she knew we'd be talking about looking at the cloud, but talking about a little bit more traditional perspective. You look at a cloud, does it exist or does it not exist? Let me just throw that right back to you, Mike. Well, if we're going to set the parameters for this conversation, how are we defining truly existing then? Because it seems to arise, exist for a short time, and dissipate, right? But... Okay, okay, well, let's pause right there. Yeah. And we're just using the cloud as a kind of launching point for the conversation. Just picking anything and saying, you know, does that box of tissues exist? And I didn't say truly exists. We're not... Ah, we're kind of not ready for that yet. So, does the cloud exist? And you said, with your, um, you know, uh, apparently sharp intellect and you know reasonable per- perspective on things, said, "Well, it it appears to exist for a period of time, and then to not exist." Is that what you said? Basically, yeah, yeah. So. At what point in time, then, since you brought in the time reference, could you say that the cloud exists? When does it exist? That's a difficult question to ask, because the more I contemplate it, I don't know what time is. If, but <laughs> impermanence definitely seems to be real, you know? So in what appears to be this ever-shifting present that is our portal for experience well i'm going to encourage you and our listeners to you know i think both of us today are inspired by uh, our previous earlier discussion about ramana maharshi uh who i just watched a documentary about him last night which was lovely um and uh part of what we're talking about today was an essential part of the way he worked with understanding reality and talking to other people about it, which was the who am I, uh, which is also used in Zen. You know, a lot of a lot of um, traditions look more carefully at the person who's having the experience rather than what the experience itself is. So <clears throat> by starting with something simple, like an object in the world that you're familiar with, like a cloud, we, you, I asked you, does the cloud exist or not? Which is, you know, not meant to be, uh, you know, big, heavy-handed. It's just a simple question. You said in your, you know, sort of observe from your observatory, you said, well, it exists, it changes, and then it ceases to exist. So you kind of define a cloud like a synthesizer envelope, right? Attack, sustain, decay, and it's gone. So... The question then is, if you're satisfied that quickly, which I think you could be about how something exists, you just define something that exists temporarily only. It exists in time. When I asked you about time, when does it exist? You, 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 you got a little bit, um, seemingly anyhow, it seemed to me maybe a little confused um, because uh, we weren't talking about the nature of, of, of time. We were just saying, when does the cloud exist? So when does the cloud exist? When causes and conditions come together for a cloud to arise. 
or is it when you notice it? So the cloud is co-emergent with my perception of it? <laughs> well, that's a, uh, you've jumped the shark again. Sorry. Yeah, it's good. If this was checkers, you'd be like the guy who's trying to like, you know, jump, like, you know, king me, you know, while you're still coming out of the gate. Um, yeah, so jumping in that perspective, and that's a kind of quantum perspective, and it's also a very Buddhist perspective, your the cloud and your perception of it co-arise. That's beautiful. Now, what does it mean, like for the practical people out there who who um, who uh, want to know what use any of this kind of cogitation is for, for for them? Let's cut to the chase on that. We take ourselves just way too seriously. Period. Everybody, with their opinions, our opinions, our our. Um, fixed ideas about things, our panic about, you know, our own getting older and passing away. We have locked and loaded onto a temporal phenomenon as if it was permanent. And because of that, we suffer a lot. And that's the basic Buddhist logic is that it's not that we're trying to get a metaphysical or metadata handle on reality so that we can, be, you know, expound on it. It's like, how could we stop suffering so much by glomming, grasping, clinging, uh, you know, um, freaking out so easily about something just changing or being less predictable than we would like it to be or more fluid than, we, than we're comfortable with having it be, including ourselves. So you look at phenomena and then you look at the self that's observing it, co-arising in a temporal way um, with um, uh, a imputed assumed logic that somehow something solid anywhere in that equation and the, our most favorite thing to make solid is the i which is what ramana maharshi is saying that's the first cause he was saying is the sense of solidity of i and that's why trungpa rinpoche would say actually you don't exist as a way of like cutting right to the chase of the matter um but intellectually both of them would agree that you could intellectually perceive this but not experientially experientially necessarily that would be two different things to uh, to to intellectually understand this and to actually have the experience the experience would mean if you don't exist um you know in, in that solid way why are we so humorless why are we so uptight why are we so shy why are we so arrogant why are we so um cocky why are we so um willing to paint over something that's happening with a, a version of it that we would rather have uh, happen in the way that we'd rather have it happen. So I think it's great to drive it towards that useful point of saying, relieving, releasing suffering. And the Buddhist way of, of cognizing is to uh, have an accurate, clear perception, which allows you to, to suffer less or, you know, maybe not at all. <laughs> but that... <clears throat> That accurate, clear perception, right, um, is sort of the first of the Eightfold Noble Path is pure view, right? So that's, mm -hmm. why, that's why we're talking about this. And as sort of existential or meta as saying the cloud and my perception of it co-arise, which was me jumping the shark a little bit because I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> 
about this stuff all day. And I'm like, all right, we'll talk to David. <laughs> but like thinking like that and, and contemplating is part of the way that we sharpen our view, which can lead to the experience of loosening our grip on self a little bit along with meditation, right? So we hear, we listen, and we meditate. And in that practice, maybe we can open to the fact that we don't exist in the way that we think. And perhaps this misperception is part of what leads to our suffering. Well, and as we always come back to, Michael, just somehow, I don't know, this has become the theme for Dharma Moon activity altogether, for life altogether, is absolute and relative truth, which both the Buddhists talk about Ramana Harshi in his own way talked about it. Um, it's um, the relative truth is, of course, a temporal truth because you will need at some point today to go out and get some groceries. Um, you'll need to use your car. You'll need the key to the car. You'll need the registration to the car with your name on it in case a policeman pulls you over. Um, because your your left tail light, you forgot to fix it. Um, you'll need to remember where you live in an apartment that you pay the rent on, um, and and uh, in which you know many nights you go to sleep into a bed which you purchased, um, which you made the morning before. Is anybody saying that relatively it's wise to ignore that kind of level of relativity? No, but we call it the relative truth in the Buddhist way of looking at it, and. Um, it it has um, you know relative uh, wisdom and intelligence in it, but if you then begin to enshrine, immortalize uh, that activity, that sense of identity, to the point where uh, you can't even get constructive feedback in a conversation because you're so wired to be, uh, you know, looking good and, and uh, uh, dominating and whatever, whatever you're used to, um, the relative truth has begin, has begun to become corrosive and toxic. And, um, and the, you know, the Buddhist approach is that you could have the relative truth, but there could be some sense of play with it. Um, but the absolute truth is that um, there's no single point at which you can identify uh, a self uh, as having any kind of permanent existence. What a relief. The, the right thing you should be saying right now is, ah, thanks. Oof. I was so... <laughs> I feel like I just came out of a spa. Just came out of a spa. I don't know. Well, and the way that you've taught me and that our lineage teaches is that, is that they're inseparable. Right. So as middle way practitioners, right, when, you know, if if I go to the corner store and I just I take something and I'm like, I, I don't exist, you know, uh. work either. Right. So like finding that that middle ground of the middle way and mm. uh, seems to be part of the part of the path. Well, and you could ask you know, what efficacy, what value does tuning in, like it's interesting, Ramana Maharshi is on my mind today because that documentary that Krishnadas sent me and, and it was so lovely to watch. Um, at a very young age, just had spontaneous realization where he just went like, 
actually, I don't exist. And he stopped eating and he stopped taking care of himself. And for years, he became a kind of, um, uh, you know, something that's probably more acceptable in India. You know, here you might be called a bum uh, if you did what he did. <laughs> but people understood, you know, that there was a process going on. And it seemed like, at least from the documentary, at a certain point, he came out the other end and was a highly functional, extremely responsible, um, wonderful host, a wonderful guide, uh, teacher, friend. Uh, you know, like he paid a lot of attention to the precise um, operations of the ashram and knew who was coming and going and um, was always sort of... Um, leaning his efforts towards helping and supporting others in their journey, just all the good things, you know? Um, so the release that he experienced, that we experience partially when we practice, we do have a little moment, right? Of just going like, Ooh, I'm just breathing. I'm just sitting here. You know, the drama can die down a little bit. We call it boredom, but from Buddhist point of view, it's a really good, it's a really good, the, the, the hyper, drama just drops down a little bit into a more ordinary rhythm and that um that can create a sense of spaciousness and um, calm even so when phenomena charge up again that we don't have to get you know completely um wired into it which is not the same as we're detached from it we don't have to get wired into it you know a reactive you know I think that's, you know, one thing, like even like the first time I heard, I heard you on, on a podcast and it sort of drew me in was the fact that we're still engaged, you know, cause like you, you see these words that are, uh, translated from Sanskrit, like dispassion or, you know, in the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and you, you know, you can think like spirituality means you're checked out, you know, mm. even the interesting thing about the Ramana Maharshi story is he had that really awakening experience. And the question we often ask is, and then what? Mm -hmm. you know? That's from our friend Pete Holmes. That's his, that's his line. And then, and then what? <laughs> yeah, right. I it love was, that. I love that about his mind. It's great. He he tended to the garden that that physical form was in for the time that it was in it. It sounds like from what you're you're relate. Yeah. Yeah, it depends, you know, because um, the extent, you know, when we do experience, you know, people with. Uh, high levels of realization. And if we're lucky, we might even have hung around with somebody that we clearly could identify that way as representing the kind of the cooking show aspect of the path. You know, they yeah. take it out of the oven. And it's already cooked at the end, what that looks like. And I feel very fortunate, as you know, to have, uh, just in my journey to have quite spontaneously through no great virtue of my own met some of these uh, really credible masters from 20th century Tibet you know, uh, which was a one-time only deal. You know, that will never happen again. Um, you know, you'll never prob you know, probably meet a Chicago blues man again since the 40s or the 50s. You know, somebody that's uniquely characterized by their, their relationship to that time and place. So there's um, a sense of those people appearing and disappearing is the way I want to say it. Uh, and um, almost 
bordering at times on the magical as- aspect, not to emphasize that, but like, like, oh, where did you come from kind of quality of it. Um, there are stories about Karmapa 16 that are just kind of extraordinary that way. Uh, synchronicities, as you know, tendrils that happen around people like that. And you become part of that field. It's a field effect. And um, so whether or not they're deliberately trying to help anybody at that point, whether or not they actually have a cohesive sense of individual existence or not. And, you know, as you know, we use the phrase gate gate, the mantra from the Heart Sutra. Um, gate gate, paragate, parasangate, bodhisvaha. Gone. Like, isn't that an interesting way to describe it? So there is an aspect of that they're gone. Uh, uh, and on the other hand, you know, Rinpoche used to say, if if people who are enlightened couldn't function, you'd need an enlightenment ward. That's exactly an exact quote. Then you'd need an enlightenment ward. So, you know, this is tricky to understand where to be, when, and how you relate to these things and what you do. And at a certain point, obviously, Buddha nature should become more spontaneous rather than, you know, something you crank up and try to so hard to be a good person and a bodhisattva. There, there has to be some kind of delight in the whole thing, or it gets very missionary-like, you know? Delight. Ah, thank you, David. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I was projecting my, what I think enlightenment is onto it in my previous statement, right? Which is like sort of another, um, another thing that we could do. But it sounds like those awakened masters you're talking about appear to you and disappear like the cloud. They vanish into emptiness. But they're awake. They're yeah. they are presenting they're presenting Buddha nature, and maybe the cloud is presenting you your own Buddha nature. <laughs> well, clouds are really, you know, um somehow powerful uh element of this physical reality that we're in because they so perfectly uh present this idea of taking shape but morphing at the same time. Um you know, in the Taoist tradition, there's something called cloud script. You know, calligraphy, cloud script. It's it's writing on water. You know, you have you have a feeling of things um, taking shape and 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 shifting. Um, you know, so the question is, you know, when do you do something really deliberate, strongly intentional, uh, really calibrated? Um, when do you stick to your guns? When are you building a fort as opposed to you know a water polo game? You know. What if, what if anything, is there anything to protect? Um, is there, is there anyone to protect? Uh, you know, one of my teachers said, don't, uh, don't defend yourself and don't defend the Dharma. So some people think I'm defending the Holy Dharma, you know, the teachings of this or that. Um, and it's tricky because there is the notion of protection also, which is keeping an eye on what's worthy in a situation and, and, and lending your support to preserving that. That That's important. That's not, you can't just say, oh, you don't exist. You know, I mean, you, you, there, there are things that are worth preserving and protecting at the same time. And we need to use our discernment to know the difference, right? Yeah, hopefully some of that happens naturally and isn't too clouded over, obscured, you know. And also it's always worth a second look because sometimes we're protecting something in the name of, and we're actually the problem. 
Us doing that is the problem. We're causing more harm than we're fixing. Um, so there, there's got to be some humbleness and sense of humor about this whole kind of uh, adventure that, that we're on. Uh, but it's not the same as being frivolous and supercilious about it, you know, and just going, oh, poof, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, so that, yeah, I guess that's a balance. The middle way. There you go. <laughs> well, I hope we even vaguely answered Charles's question. But that's not our way, Michael. Our way is to launch and then see where it goes, right? It really is. You know, you like you ask the teacher a question and you come away with sort of more to think about along with perhaps a, a direct experience of what the uh, the teacher embodies. You do what you will with it. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully we'll see everybody soon. Yes. Thank you, David. Thank you to everyone for listening. As David said, we sincerely hope this conversation was of some benefit to you. And be well. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Another CSM David's View on the Be Here Now Network. We'd like to send a special thank you again to Charles Sidner for submitting his query, which led to this podcast. Charles is a musician and amazing composer for film and TV and a member of our Dharma Moon community. You can follow him on Instagram at Sidsong, which is at S-Y-D-S-O-N-G. And there you can hear his music and see adorable pictures of his two chihuahuas. Charles, I hope that's not too much self-disclosure, but that's all in the public sphere. And they are adorable puppies. So thank you. And that being said, anyone interested in submitting a question for David's view, we strongly encourage you. Send me an email at michaelk at dharmamoon.com or message me at MK for president on the Instagram. I would like to make a quick correction to my speech earlier in the podcast. About midway, I was endeavoring to lay out the three prajnas, which are hearing, contemplating, and meditating. This is a Buddhist framework for integrating the teachings into our life. We begin by engaging with the teachings via our sense perceptions. We use our intellectual faculties to analyze, contemplate, and see if they align with our experience. And as we meditate, we develop an embodied understanding experientially of the way of things, let's say. Fun side note, the three prajnas autocorrects to the three prawns on my notes application, and now I'm hungry. Also, when I mentioned the turn of phrase, and then what, in this episode, and David mentioned Pete Holmes, where we kind of took that turn of phrase from in regards to spiritual practice, we have a beautiful synchronicity arising with the release of this episode, which was recorded months ago. That being on April 20th, 2022, at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Zoom, we have Pete Holmes joining us on our monthly mindfulness and programming. This one being Mindfulness and Then What? You can register for that program along with all of our programming at dharmamoon.com. And a huge thank you to the Be Here Now Network and especially to Corey, Sarah, and JR for their help in collaboration with this podcast and the release of this podcast. We are grateful to be a part of the Be Here Now Network, and we encourage everyone listening to go to www.beherenownetwork.com 
to check out their amazing and ever-expanding library of podcasts based on the world's wisdom traditions and our lived experience in them and through them, perhaps. So thank you, Be Here Now, and thank you from the depths of my heart, Baba Ramdas, for sharing your journey with all of us with your wisdom, compassion, and devotion. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and share our posts on social media, and please give us a glowingly positive review on your favorite pod streaming platform. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best. Much love from David and I. Everyone to be here now in Dharma Moon. Bye. Bye. Bye.